Good evening, listeners. You are on the phone, no, on the podcast listening with Paul and Kate here for the Atkins Labcast. Hello, Kate. Hello. I'm trying not to cough. Why are you trying not to cough? Because there seems to be a tradition that just before we start recording, I start coughing. You start getting the um, the, the COVID symptoms. Yeah, the COVID symptoms that um, the president of what was once known as the United States of America. <laughs> oh yeah, since we've since the last episode, we've had uh, President COVID. Yeah, at the uh, Amy COVID Barrett uh, <laughs> garden party, super spreader party. The 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 red wedding of. Of the Trump administration where everybody dies. Um, yeah, so good times. But so it's all good because he's fine because he's it was a gift from God, as we know. Um, and he's learnt something. And he's learnt something. He knows all about it and everyone's going to get the same exact treatment as him, exactly the same treatment. He's going. Every human in America is going to be rushed to Walter Reed Hospital <laughs> and have a team of 30-odd lunatics in white jackets treating them with untested, unproven... Medical drugs that have never, combinations of which have never been applied to anyone but him. But the thing is, they'll all have some seriously good steroids and that's what we want. And you know, really, what we're talking about here is the glory of speed. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it worked for, it worked for Hitler. so fucking high. It worked for Hitler. It worked for Hitler. It's worked that's for many, a, many an evil man. So, so let's, let's pivot our topic. Pivot our topic. Huh? To the wonderful G Greenslade, who is our guest for this week's Labcast. Yes. Um, well, we, we've known G for a while and uh, we've interviewed her a, a couple of times actually uh, for the yep. old podcast Yep. Um, because she's got such a great little journey and I think it's the best thing about seeing where she is now and seeing her happiness is she's found a great home as a teacher mm. at the Centre for Creative Photography. And I think it's a really natural fit for G. I mean, you know, I've, kn- I've been with you for 25 years, right? But I've only been really heavily, like, full-time, quit my job, shut my business down, you know, I'm here every single day just focusing on this for the last five years. And that was a really steep learning curve for me because whilst I'd hung around the lab a lot and obviously you and all the rest of it, I didn't have the knowledge that I had when we first got together, when I was really running the lab with you and especially the digital side of things, I had really Back lost... Back at the beginning of digital imaging. Yeah, that would be like, like 1996. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Half the audience was born then. Oh, God, stop. Um, and anyway, so I was like a, kind of a, a bit of a drift, a, a bit adrift and not really sure what I was doing and learning, trying to learn as much as I can. And I have to say, gee... You know, there are a lot of characters in this industry and a lot of people, especially when they see someone who they deem knowing nothing, are really happy to kind of go, well, let me tell you what it's all about. And everybody adores you, which is really annoying because they all think I'm like some ogre next to you. Oh, you're not an ogre. It's true. And um, and so I had to battle a lot of that when I first... Are you a cute ogre like Shrek? Oh, really? You have just compared me to Shrek. (laughs) Fucking hell. Okay, I'm taking applications for a new husband. Just email (laughs) through to (laughs) kateatkins.com.au. Photo required. (laughs) Um, What I'm saying, you dickhead, shut up so I can finish my bloody anecdote. What I'm saying is that G was one of the few people who was just genuinely kind and embracing and lovely to me 
when I would go along to bloody events with filled with people who I didn't know and everybody else was like BFFs with everybody and I was just standing there like a fucking sore thumb, which is pretty much my constant state <laughs> anyway. But she was just really welcoming and really lovely, consistently open and kind in a way that not everyone was. Yeah, I think she. I think you're a kindred soul in some ways. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. for that, and she and she has to really put it on. And I think her role as a teacher is it's not. She's not a traditional teacher. She is more of a guide, um, you know, a mentor, a guide. And I think her style of of teaching, and we saw it in the discussion when she talked about how everything didn't go so well with this current show. Yeah. And how I think that I think as a young student, uh, as a new a person new to art, not particularly young, you know, someone new to art, to hear someone who's got a bit of a reputation say, "Well, you, how, how, this is physically how you pick yourself up and get on with it." Mm. And I think it's also uh, she's a really interesting example of um, of a couple of things. She's a really interesting example of having an art practice that is not based on a success trajectory that ends you up being, you know, Andy Warhol. Like she she does what she does because she loves it and she has to do it. And um, and it's not based on any kind of expected outcome. Sorry, the hoons in Adelaide. The hoons in Adelaide are everywhere. And now our 17-year-old daughter has walked in looking expectant. Hello, darling Elizabeth. You're on the podcast now. What do you want? <laughs> anyway, as I was saying... Uh, she's a really good example of doing something with her art practice that's not based on a really rigid expectation of, you know, making a million dollars. So she's always had a job and she's always done other things. Um, And that doesn't lessen her experience of it or or the importance of it to her. And I think this latest exhibition, whilst it was a massive departure from the, the pieces she's done before, I think was obviously really useful and really helpful for her. And that's the whole bloody point. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a, a listener question. I don't know if we'll ever get to it one time because I'm just thinking about the next couple of interviews which I've already got in the can. He wants to know, um, he would like us to interview some artist who's making a living out of, full-time living out of art. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I find that really curious because it's kind of like going, I'd like you to interview someone who's won the lottery. Like, because that's what it is. It is to be an artist in in a very traditional sense in that you create what we would classify as fine art, right, that goes in galleries, art galleries, and it is based purely on your own internal desires to create a piece of work that you do exhibitions for, that you and, – and I have to say, in order to do that, you have to become excellent at – grant writing because you're basically begging for money all the time. Yeah. Um, and, ev- and if you manage to do that full time, that's extraordinary. Like that is not – that I- and, and only that. If you do that and you don't do anything else and, and it, I mean, if you do that and not have to write grants – well, you're a freak. I, I reckon. What I'm sorry, po- but it's I, I just is like um like a lot of uh, of our industry, which you know is in some ways is art, art adjacent. A lot of people have made their money because they paid off the house. Yeah, but but the thing is that what I'm saying is that it is it is so rare that this there's this expectation that it should quote unquote be able to happen. But it just doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? What we've it's got not, ten thousand. We've got. 
10,000 clients or something, you know, if we had to write a list of clients, how many of those 10,000 do you reckon are actively doing as defined by what I just defined it as, as in solely making a pure living out of their art and nothing else that is exhibited in galleries? What, two? Yeah. If that. Yeah, and and, and as a teacher, like, it's such a natural fit for G to, to, to... to be helping but other people. But it's any, but like you can stack the shelves at, at Coles. I mean, I think teaching's fabulous, you know, addition to it. But I think this idea, this fantasy idea that, that you know, you're going to be able to do this thing and it's just going to be peaches and, and cream all day long, every day. Well, even if you're that artist, guess what? There's still a whole lot of shit that you have to do that nobody wants to do. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not like, it's like they talk about celebrities, actors and that sort of stuff. Actors aren't paid to act. They're paid to do all the other crap around it. Deal with paparazzi, go and speak to awards, do all that shit. That's what they're actually paid for. They're not paid to act. So, so it's the same sort of thing. So, you know, you're going to be an artist. Yeah, have fun writing grants two-thirds. So you've got to be careful about your definition of success. As yeah, it's just like that argument I have. I mean, do you think that's where this question's coming from? Is like this person expecting their definition of success in art to be making a living from it? Yeah, I think it, and it, I think it's it is the same as photographers who have run a really successful a, a successful business by my standards is one where you are a photographer who shoots, and that is your primary source of income. And that helps to sustain your family. So if you're a person who can do that full time, that's also really rare and also really amazing. But what I'm finding now is a lot of the time I have conversations with people that have been doing that for 10, 15 years and they don't see themselves as successful because they're not Jose Villa or because they're not Jai Long or because Mm. they're not an influencer. Mm. They're not someone who's now not even shooting that much because they're busy going around selling a fucking camera lens for presets. Sony or some shit. Yeah, presets. And so, and again, those people are as rare as hen's teeth and their lives are very different. There's not actually a lot of shooting. It's, you know, you talk to school principals. They're miserable because they never teach anymore. All they do is fucking paperwork. Yeah. So, like, all of this stuff is on a spectrum of understanding what you actually want to do with your life all day, every day as a successful person. Like, I could have stuck with the, you know, the the work 24-7 and fight my way through the politics and bullshit of the graphic design world and, you know, fight my way up through the bloody sausage fest that is, um, you know, senior designers and, and it's all men, right, and get myself up in that echelon and I could have done that for years and years and just done the same fucking thing over and over and over, which I got felt was designed by the end of it. Um. But I wasn't going to enjoy my life. So, like, I could have had an income that was, frankly, probably three times more than I'm earning now and and be living in bloody Sydney, married to an architect or some shit. Yeah, Hang okay. on, architects are fine. Are they, though? They haven't got architects. I don't know. They are. I think they've got problems. Anyway. Oi. Hey, so what I'm saying is I could have done that, but oh. there are lifestyle choices Losing around that. listeners every minute, Mr. Shrek. let them go. All three of them. One will stick around. <laughs> what I'm saying is there all of this stuff is a decision that you make and there's reasons that you you need to give yourself more credit for what you have got and what is good about it right now. You yeah, know? That's pretty cool. Good thinking. Oh, look at you. Look at you looking at the fucking clock going, geez, you bloody rambled for 20 minutes and we've lost everybody because she's let, so let's, let's let everyone go and listen to Gina. Oh, my God. Okay, fine. I'll have another bite of my sandwich. 
And look, this, all this stuff we're doing here, talking to artists, is very pertinent because we're in the middle of the Shimmer Photographic Festival here in South Australia. So I'm taking the opportunity, whilst Shimmer is the forefront of my mind, to talk about people who are relevant to Shimmer. And I hope to get around through a lot of the people uh, that we've connected with. So those of you interstate, I'm sorry we're not talking to internationals, interstates and, and all that. We're talking about to South Aussies and we're on the phone, the Skype, to G Greenslade, who is one of the people that... I sit in my chair in my life where I think it's going and I think I know what's happening and then G does something that I have no idea what it's about <laughs> and it's exciting and it's fun and it's heartfelt and I'm always better for it. So G, hello. Hello, hello Paul Atkins. How are you? I'm okay. I love your magic panda. I love my wearing. magic panda. It says um, be a hero of your story on it. It's very exciting. Wow. Um, yes, there we Be go. Be a hero of your story. That's a very, very cool yeah. idea, isn't it, really? It's nice. It's really nice. It's a nice jumper. I saw it and I went, yes, this is this is what I need in my life. And I think it's been good to me. Yeah. Here How long are. have you had it? How long have you had it? I've had it now for a couple of years. Yeah, a couple of years. I bought it the last sapper that we ever had before the last sapper because that's my time when I buy new clothes because it's the time of the year that I usually see people. But COVID, <laughs> it, it really burnt us, didn't it? Um, yeah. Now that's that's because I was just interested about this. You know that quote. It's really cool on your panda, and I I know that you've just been through a cycle of rediscovering that motto, and I, I gather that <laughs> your life has been. Psych, so it seems to be cycles of, uh, you know, forgive me for reading your mind, but getting involved with things, situations, people, associations, organisations, ideas, and then waking up one day and going, whoa, where am I? <laughs> I've forgotten who I am. Yes. I'm not a forgotten, but I've, I've laid this stuff on me that's not me. And I've, this has become a speed bump or a room I've built around me. I've painted myself into a corner. You know, all that stuff. Totally. A hundred percent. Is that what it's about? Yeah. I mean, it could be. I think so. I mean, yeah. I um, Well, I studied, you know, uh, visual arts um, at UniSA. And, and from there, you know, you, you have a bunch of people who are kind of have one way of thinking. You go, oh, yeah, that's great. Love it. Um, and then very quickly I was working in studios and there's a way that a bunch of people are thinking in that term, you know, um, in terms of how they're selling things to their clients and things like that. Um, and I was involved in ARPP, I still am involved in ARPP and there's a certain way, especially judging, I'm a judge, um, and, and that we think when we're talking about photography and art and things like that in terms of that um, and then I just did a show, an exhibition at Shimmer. It's still happening. Um, well, I don't know, actually. Um, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, but yeah, and, and, and so same thing. Um, you know, what do I, what am I as an exhibiting artist and absolutely destroying that in the process? So yeah, I think, I think I, yeah, you're very right. It's really cyclical in terms of how, <coughs> choking on my tea, um, in terms of how, <laughs> Um, yeah, in terms of how I seem to go through my life, um, I seem, yeah, I think I, I was think raised. we all do. Yeah, yeah. We, we walk down these paths and it's so hard. I, mean, I think the greatest thing you can 
do is really know yourself. Yeah. And I think we spend our whole lives trying to work out who we actually are and what we do. 100%. Um, and you get that, you know, it's funny you have to wear the shirt reminding <laughs> you of that stuff. But I know that's more for other people too. Well, know, do you find you forget? Like... All the time. I mean, I've done, look, let's be really honest here. I've done years of therapy and sometimes my therapist will say, I've had the same guy for 10 years. He's the most beautiful man in the world. But, and sometimes he'll say the exact same thing that he probably said to me back when I first started therapy with him. And I'd be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Whoopsie. Like we need to constantly relearn um, and start from scratch again. And I think I forget that quite often. Um you know, this yeah, this yeah. act of going through life and starting from scratch on something and rebuilding and then starting from scratch and rebuilding. And, and, and that seems to be, I think, the way we do things. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't think though, I, I don't, and I don't think I've ever seen you, and I don't think anyone actually zeroes himself because you've actually no. built in part of this because you've built something in the meantime. You've got, you've leveled up. Yeah. To, to use the term of the gamer, which I have nothing what I'm talking about. But you've leveled up because what you've got from the, for example, working uh, w with Jack. Yes, yeah. You had this, you built this sort of l another little foundation or a little step or something that allowed you to go to that next step. Yeah. Which, you know, which, um, so artistically, let's talk about, you're a country girl to start with, right? Yeah. So I Bendigo girl, is it? Yeah, I grew up in Bendigo and Barra. So two, oh, um, wow. yeah, two extremes. Um, so my mother's side was in, in Bendigo and my father's side is in Barra. Um, so I'd go between the two country towns, I guess. Um, and then I moved to Adelaide at the end of um, high school and have been there ever since. So um, f that's coming up to... I think it's about 17 years now. I'm not exactly sure, but I've been here for a while. Um, so, yeah. So how did that move? I mean, I don't know how supportive you felt the to you and your art world and the way you think the country towns were. Was Ooh. it a big thing coming to Adelaide or was it super supportive where you were? Or um, No, it was a big thing coming to Adelaide. I came to Adelaide... Um, yeah, that's a really long, complicated story, actually. And I think we talked a lot about it last time I spoke to you and DJ, actually. Um, yes. Uh, about how I moved from uh, moved to Adelaide because I, I had a lot to escape, really. Um, super punk rock teenager and was the problematic child and the child that everyone was like, never going to be anything. Um, and ended up here because I had so little confidence in myself um, that I applied for every university in Australia that I could possibly, that was a lot of work. Don't ever try that kids. Just wow. focus on one. Um, anyway, but I, I, um, applied for All arts focused. You're yeah. trying to get an arts course. I was trying to get into an arts course or a drama course. Um, I loved acting back then, but, um, I last minute decided on visual arts and I think that was the right choice for me. Um, and I got in to UniSA. I got into two courses at once. Um, and, uh, by a folio, and I chose, so I moved here with on within a week of that, um, with my, um, yeah, with my friend Dan, and uh, that the rest is kind of history. I've been here ever since. I studied at UniSA for eight years, um, part time, failed it, um, but you know, <laughs> but ended up teaching there anyway. And um, <laughs> yeah, well, as we know, those that fail teach. That's right, right I know, it? right? And you know what? I, I have no problem with that because I think the best people are failures. So 100%. in a good way, I love failure. I think failure is like the best thing in the world. Um, 
I mean, I have to Correct. think that at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, being, so being what about the commercial world? It, did that, did working for, for Jack? And yeah. could you describe the sort of studio you're working? Because it was a really particular era, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was a really particular era. It was around about that 2000 and, oh, golly, um, was it 2006-ish, I think? I think so, I think when so. When I met you. Um, so, whew, Paul, that's been a while. I anyway, know. um. Yeah, so that was, we were, you know, it was the, the throwback. So Studio 2000 was big at the time. Well, not really big. They were kind so of winding down. So just explain what the Studio 2000 concept the is studio, to people. Yeah, the Studio 2000 concept for those who are outside of, of Adelaide. We, you mentioned it in Adelaide and everyone's like, oh, golly. Anyway, it was um, a period of a very hard sales in a studio environment. They had massive, massive um, amounts of people coming through. It was the free photo shoot model. Um, and I think that was some of the early people who were doing that. I'm not sure really of, of how that that came about um and uh, and then really high pressure sales um so what and they're targeting young yeah young um, people to look hot the glamour shots you know it was the, shots, it was yeah. the 2000s glamour shots um yep. and you know all edgy and ripped stuff and all that kind of stuff um and so I was working there and um but uh, not at Studio 2000, sorry. I did a day at Studio 2000 and got fired, which is the story of my life. But um, I... <laughs> you survived. Well done. You got in One and day, out before you got I did pulled. it. I know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what happened was often people got a bit not not happy with working there. And um, so Jack had a studio, not based off the fact that people weren't happy working there, but he had a studio that just so happened to be that model. Not necessarily, it was trying to be ethically that model, still that come in and have a shoot. Yeah, um, and trying to not to, trying not to be the high pressure sales, you know, like we wouldn't have alcohol in our sales, we wouldn't have, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. um, and we, it was a lot of really young, vibrant photographers. So that's where I was, and that's sort of the world I I came up in was that portrait model, the, you yeah. know, and I was the retouch artist and and um handling a lot of websites and doing that. You know that job that photographers do, which is the all everything job. Um, that's yeah. what I had. Um, so yeah, that was what I was doing at the time, um, whilst still doing uni. But um, yeah, and I was also working with Mark Trumbull as well. He had a sort of similar model, but a bit different again. Um, uh, he was doing, you know, um, children of Adelaide books at the time. Um, so I was, and you know, I was also working for Anne Stropin as well. We were, everyone was kind of doing a similar thing. So yeah, that was that was what I grew up in, in terms of the commercial realm of, of photography. Um, and it kind of borderlined a bit on fashion as well. So, you know, those studios, they want to be the fashion photographers, but they can't quite get the jobs. So they make normal people into the fashion people. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is nice. I mean, that's what people it's want. Nice. And, yeah. and it's, a, it's a great business model if you treat it well, like Jack did. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, the guys at 2000 really did a Ooh. terrible job and there's plenty of examples around the world yeah. of that being mishandled because young people uh you know they don't have a ton of money but they have the desire to have this look and feel and so tell yeah. me how did that leave you feeling about the commercial side of of the world and and the, yeah. that sort of photography um it was really difficult actually i had a a i i loved it right loved it got right involved with it dug myself in uh, but also um uh, I'd been working with Jack for about two years and he had a heart attack um, and then about six months after that passed away. And it was probably one of the most devastating kind of times of my, my life um, because I hadn't been in Adelaide. I hadn't been in Adelaide very long at that point and I'd sort of found this family 
in him and his studio. And, and in terms of the commercial world, I, I enjoyed it, but I also saw the holes in it. You know, I also felt awkward about, I'm not a, I'm a very, I'm a people person until I go home at night and then I'm a don't talk to me, don't even look at me, don't touch me person, right? Um, and so that takes a lot of emotional energy. And I, I often felt that I wasn't being completely true to who I am, which is an, you know, I've always had this kind of arty side of me. I've always been a bit weird and a bit quirky and there's nothing wrong with that. And I felt there was nothing wrong with that. But um, yeah, it kind of, I think, scratched up against, I always seem to scratch up against this thing, this, this, do I fit here? I don't know. Um, and so, and I think that's the same with university. I had a big, you know, university that they went first week I was there, they said um, I was in a class called what was it called? I can't even remember now. It doesn't matter. But um, they, visual inquiry, that's what it was. Wow. What and an obscure term. Exactly. Um, and it was an obscure class because they said to us, we're going to pull down every idea you have of art and we're going to put it back together. And boy, <sighs> did they. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and I, it's funny, those lessons I learned in that class didn't hit me then. It just gave me a complex. But now, um, you know, now I look back on some of those lessons like, uh, the, fir the first class as well as that, we had to hold out a piece of charcoal um, and, and we'd have to say, this is a stick. This is just a burnt stick. Um, that's all it is. Much like we say, this is a camera. It is just a camera and it's what you do and what you make of it that counts and what you have to say. And even, you know, you can make it look as pretty as you want, but whether or not it's good, then yeah, it's, you know what I mean? Like it's, so yeah, it was, it was a really uh, weirdly weird dichotomy to be living through having university be like that and then having this very formulaic studio environment be like this yeah. is how you photograph a woman this is how you photograph a man this is how you do this this is how you do this we're going to use this type of lighting done get them out the door you know um so it's really hard isn't it you yeah thinking, and you've got to do that to to make a business that can employ people and You've, you've got to do that, don't you? It's, oh, yeah. It's a model you just have to do. and Well, people want a catalogue. They want a thing that they can walk in and go, oh, my God, that is what I want to be. Yeah. And that's what that yeah. business is. You're selling that. You're selling a catalogue. It's like wedding yeah. photography now. People complain, oh, you know, like photographers complain, oh, well, the other photographers photograph the same thing. Yeah, they do for a damn fine reason. And that is, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's excellent. If you can make that formula work, then... I'm sorry, you are going to make it. Sorry, creative photographers. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I mean, you know, look, there is the, the Key Lou's and the Pete Max and all of that who do do some different stuff. But, um, you know, that, that yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's the icing yeah. on a cake, on a, on a wonderful cake that is working as a photographer. Totally. Yeah, the icing totally. is to be able to do some different stuff, but it is so hard working that in and doing different stuff with your everyday couples and it's funny yeah. I see a lot of people coming into the industry having a great sport with that stuff and yeah because they they seem to have a bit more time and energy for that but as soon as you're in it a little bit it gets really hard and you just need to settle down and start doing some things that are a little consistent so you know where yeah. your income's coming from yeah right? that's it um, that's it so yeah. is that what you're rubbing against as an artist and of course as an artist at UniSA yeah, yeah that would also have been challenging for you too Absolutely. And it was, it was interesting. Like, um, actually one of the, you know, I did a, a workshop with Gregory Creedson, which is one of, you know, it, that's a whole story in itself. I know. Hallelujah. Ooh. 
Um, and look, it changed my life, but also it was one of the, I remember walking out of the meeting with him, bawling my eyes out and going to and locking myself in a toilet for 15 minutes because um, I'd unwrapped my portfolio and he, there's the question like, who are you? Um, that he said to me and I was like, oh, I'm a photographer and I work in a glamour studio and I do Photoshop-y stuff. He's like, I can see that. And I was, I almost like, you could just watch me like that. That's an imploding moment, right? Like, um, and because it's like, well, yeah, duh. and he's like, I can see the, the glamour influences in your work. This is when I was doing strange lens and monsters. Um, and that body of work was all very precise and perfect. And, you know, well, not actually, I look back on it now. It's not, but it, you know, in, in terms of what I thought <laughs> at the time, at the yeah. time, it was, time. it was control and perfection and yeah. manipulated and it was it was on point. It was sharp yeah. and, you know, everything yeah. was right. Everything was right. Everything was in its place. And, you know, when I was presenting it, um, I had a – I sat down with Mark Kimber, um, beautiful man, and, and said, like, hey, how do I present this? He's like, you need to do it in the big and with the traditional white box frames. And that's what – we, I mean, you know, you guys at Atkins printed it um, and Thanks. sponsored that yeah. show and, um, but you know. It, it, it needed that because of the perfection of yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Right? Totally. And it's interesting looking at now and looking at last week, which we'll get into later, but, um, you know, it's such a, that dichotomy again. So, yeah, he could see that. He could see me coming up against that. And then he was like, no, really, who are you? Um, and I was like, I don't, what do you want? And he was like, what's your relationship like with your mother? And then... Oh, Whoa! Right, and um, really, <laughs> did he ask? That? Yeah, straight oh away, God. straight away. Um, uh, and and then it was my father after that, and and so you know, and like I, I'm not sure I want to get into that right now because I've talked enough about that in my time, but um, yeah. yeah, like I don't, I haven't always necessarily been close to my family. Um, so it was such a like, <gasps> you know, no, you've moment. always made a family. Yeah, you've made totally, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, I was just thinking, that my, my, my mouth was just a gate, not because of your side of the story, but of Greg. And I'm, I think it's, I've never, I, I went to the lecture, I never went yeah. to the workshop. Yeah. And I really feel like I missed out on not, like, how do you get this guy? I mean, we know how, because a couple of people asked him to come to Adelaide. Mm. But, and he just came. He just and he came. did this day. And it was insane. And Ooh. But I didn't th- realise he was, he, he did that. I didn't know he pulled that wonderful I'm yeah. not saying it's a trick or anything but that's a wonderful thing to ask somebody yeah just to ask them like and I've done that I I've used that now in my whole life like I hate going for example I hate going to photographic conferences we've all done it right and it's like oh what do you do oh I'm a phot- we all do it I'm a photographer and blah 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 and it's like yeah cool and I I now whenever I go to a conference or I'm at a you know I I I mean I still ask it what do you do but I, I, if I'm really thinking about it, I try and ask people like, so tell me a bit about yourself and they'll usually go to the photography part, but I'll be like, yeah, but what else do you do? What are your hobbies? Like, you know, because that's, yeah, we're, we're at a photography conference because we're photographers, duh. Like, uh, like, what, but the sum of all our parts, tell me something new, you know? Yeah. Me, hun, yeah. 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 Fuck. Yeah. How interesting. <laughs> yeah. How interesting. So, 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 okay. Strange lonesome, lonesome monsters, right? You're... You're, you've worked out the control stuff. You've worked yeah. out the perfection. Yeah. You've worked out. And I know you look back on it, you go, yeah, it wasn't perfect. We all do that, right? Yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. at the time, it was incredible. Oh, it's gorgeous. And everyone's everyone's yeah. draw. You won every award under the sun that there was yeah. available at the time. Yeah. Um, so where does – what – let's just look at and not 
reiterate the cycles that happen between them then, then now because I know you've been reasonably it hasn't been quite the big G thing that artistically that we had with Strange Lonesome no, Monsters. Yeah. Tell us about this thing that's happened at Shimmer. Yeah. And I only say that and I'm not trying to cut anything short in any way possible, but I think the idea of this journey and this coming up against this finding yourself in this wall in this corner again and you painting getting yourself out of it is really interesting and yeah. it might reflect back on what happened after Strange Lonesome Monsters. So tell us the story of this current Shimmer Festival. Okay, so where do you want me to start with that? Because I can start at the beginning of Creating Moon or I can start with the, the actual no, show. No, let's talk about beginning Creating Moon because it was a big pivot for you and it, sh- and it surprised <laughs> everybody. We went, hang on, hang on, what's G doing? You know, like, <laughs> what's she doing now? So let's do that. Let's yeah, that. so... um. Okay, so yeah, we're going to get messy for a moment. I, um, my partner is South African and lives in, in, well, lives and works in South Africa. So she comes here for six months of the year and then goes home. Um, and she works storyboarding. She's currently storyboarding on a Netflix series. I'm very proud of her. It's amazing stuff. Um, cool. Like a purely African Netflix series, which is just ridiculous. Um, but we've known each other since we were kids. And um, what happened was the first time I went to, South Africa. Um, so she'd come to Australia, but the first time I went to South Africa, I'd never traveled overseas before, never once in my life. I'd never left Australia. Um, and we had just found out that she had, um, a can like a very rather rare cancer on her larynx. So your larynx is your voice box, right? And, um, yeah. And it was, it was a real shock to the system. And, and the thing you've got to understand about if you're Australian and if you list, if you're South African and listening, you're probably going to laugh at me because I'm totally the privileged white girl looking at a system that I've never seen in my life before and being horrified. But um, mm. in Australia, the to give context to this situation, the Royal Adelaide Hospital was being built, right? The brand new... Billion dollar ra. Yeah. And it's like, what, the fifth most expensive building in the world at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, to, you know, to give context to what the experience of this this was. Um, so I go to South Africa and knowing that she's got the cancer and we think we're going to, the operation, all of that's not for another few months and we're just going to celebrate our time together and, and be okay. Well, we get the call the day I arrive. Um, I'd literally flown in the night before. It was my very first day in South Africa, very first morning, hadn't even left the house yet. And they say to us, hey, it's time. Um, we've got a, a free spot. Oh. We have to get you in now. And you didn't get all your jet jet lag. No, I was whoa heinously jet lagged, heinously, Oof. and I don't handle jet lag well. Like, let me tell you, um, we've discovered that jet lag requires me to be in bed for a week crying. Um, but <laughs> anyway, so and I, I know never, the feeling of yeah. the jet lag thing. I just it's not uh, for you just crying in bed. It's just like what an awful thing. Oh uh, yeah. So um, so Q going to a South African hospital for the very first yeah. time and. And, and what you've got to understand about this too is there's such a – for those who are Australian who have never been to South Africa, there's such a class and race divide. It's heartbreaking how much and, – and some South Africans don't even see it because they've grown up in it. Um, but for me, it was such a shock, you know, to suddenly be – in Australia, we're so sheltered from it because we – we did genocide, which is not any better. Um, it's horrible. Um, it but was a long time ago and not – yeah. Not, you know, five years ago and Well, you know. yeah. And so I mean, yeah, so when you for for apartheid, like Kit, my partner, was alive during apartheid. So like and and mm. and has memories of apartheid. So um 
anyway, so this hospital, intense, um, saw some really intense things in there and doctors and nurses that are so overworked and, and understaffed and, and, you know, kids' bandages wouldn't get changed in a few days and, um, you know, she didn't get fed for a few days and all kinds oh. of horrible things and the hospitals were dirty and dark and just hectic and horrible. Um, and she survived and she... Okay, you know, she, well, you know, she's okay, but okay isn't, you know, we're okay. Um, it's relative, yeah. It's relative. And and so I came back to Australia. Um, and by the way, we were not in a public hospital. We were in a, pri- sorry, we we're not in a private hospital. We we're in a public hospital, which for yeah. white South Africans is very interesting. Um, and we're there because they had the best throat doctor in the world there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that the aftercare is great or the, that yeah, a, yeah. a public hospital is great. Um, you want to be in a private hospital in South Africa, but we could not afford that. Um, so, yeah, that was that was how it came to be. And I came back really broken and, and I had PTSD. I still, I've had PTSD for other things as well, but this was very visceral and, and I didn't sleep for a long time. And, and doing my Photoshop work, my really precise, gorgeous Photoshop work that I do, suddenly it was so hard. Like I just... The idea of sitting in front of a computer, I couldn't sit still, I couldn't focus. Um, and some beautiful friends, and I don't know if they want to be known, but if they do, please let them come forward. Um, they did something, and I don't know why this happens to me, and I don't know why you guys keep doing this. It's lovely, but they bought me a new camera because um, oh. they knew I needed something. I don't know. I don't know why they did it, but um, I was, you know... Um, and it was a tiny little Olympus and, um, you know, the, the EM1, yeah, Mark yeah. two, And it's so light and nimble. And all of a sudden, instead of hacking out this giant gear that I hated and I had, had been related to my work and the studio work and all of these ideas of what photography should be, I was shooting with this tiny little thing in my garden, doing the thing that I'd always told students not to do, which was photographing flowers, right? Um <laughs> Don't photograph macro flowers. I see hundreds of them every week, um, which is such a rude thing to say to anybody. But I did that. Um, and, yeah, so I was photographing bugs and stuff and, and with no intent for them to ever be anything. Um, so I just got obsessed with that. And then I got obsessed with um, – I was like, oh, I want to get closer again. So I bought some antique microscopes from Muradin Senior College and um, – and then got up closer again and I was shooting with my mobile phone. And then I was like, oh, I want to get up closer again. Um, and just doing all this different stuff. And then I found out about like UV, UVIR photography. So it's very different to UV photography. UV is where you have your cameras modified and stuff. This is the reflection that happens, the, the chemical reaction that happens when you point yep. a UV torch at something or UV light, which UV light can't be seen. And I had become very interested in things you can't see and um, – yeah. Also, the postal plebiscite was happening. So to give them oh, some yeah. more extra context, and um, I've mentioned that my partner is not a dude. Um, and <laughs> um, yeah, we've all got skin in that game. Yeah. In, in one way or another. <laughs> Any sensible Australian does. Right. So and so, like when yeah. So I got obsessed with like the way light works and um, being able to see chromatic aberration. So and things like that, which is when um, you know, white light is all colours at once, but when it goes through lenses at a certain angle, it separates off into a rainbow. And that's actually what, you know, a light is a rainbow. Light is all the colours at once. And, and we believed that light was God and pure. And I found that such a metaphor. I held it straight in my heart. So this show became about 
light and different colors of light and shifting of light but also about these bugs and about my garden and about that kind of stuff and I never thought it would be exhibited but then um, my friend or my boss actually Gavin was like yeah you should you should exhibit that and I was like I guess so yeah (laughs) maybe and then all of a sudden uh, I was applying for shimmer and um and then I got a show and I was like shit I guess I gotta exhibit this now (laughs) oh are we allowed to swear yes oh thank fuck (laughs) um so, yeah. Kate, Kate doesn't let a thing go without swearing, so it's very I important. I thought as fucking free. much. <laughs> Do whatever the hell you want, girlfriend. Kate better, better. Yeah, I love listening to Kate swearing. It's so beautiful. It is, um, isn't it? Oh, anyway. So that's what happened. Um, and then I put it together. But then COVID happened. I don't know. Are we going on the right track here? Is this what's happening? No, you are right. Yeah, because you were sort of chronologically following along what happened. What happened? Um, and so this this show had become about joy, right? This show was about my joy and about finding my joy again in photography through this little camera and through photographing freaking flowers, which was the thing little I'd never let myself do. In your backyard. Uh, in the backyard, which is kind of nice. It's starting at the beginning again, isn't it? Like that's what we all photograph when we first get a camera. And yes. here I was starting again. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So then... Sorry, I can just talk the back end off a chair leg, Paul. I'll just no, no, it's it. good. You, yeah. you put the show like you're going to put the show together. You decide you got a space organized because Shimmer. Totally. Ex- they they prepared you up the Flurio Art House, which is a really great venue. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. And you got a space with Ross, the wonderful Ross. Oh uh, yeah. So we well, I didn't know this at this point, which like I had no idea. Um. So yeah. Okay. So beautiful. So then, um, putting this show together, and I decide upon. Uh, I had originally proposed that I was going to do three massive wall decals, easy, and I was going to just um, 3M, uh, you know, just have prints on the wall because I knew that my budget was limited. I knew that yes. that was the best I could do. Yes. And um, then COVID happened and and nobody knew whether Shimmer would go ahead. And we're getting messages sort of going, prepare for an online show, prepare for a face-to-face show as well and I'm thinking oh my god like how do you do that (laughs) how do you do that because like for me shows take and same with Ross as well he had that experience as well where we're both sitting there going like we're preparing a show but we can't like I don't want to put budget into a show that's essentially never going to go ahead but then also we have to but then also it's not going to work online it was just a whole clusterfuck so finally um I start printing the show um the Centre for Creative Photography sponsored it um, lovingly. Thank you, CCP. And yes. it all got put together. And last minute I made some decisions because I knew that um, I had wanted a black wall for the show. Yep. And I knew that we were using adhesives and all of that. And so we did some black wallpaper. Yep. And in the process of this, I got told that I was going to be in the back gallery and so did Ross. So... <laughs> um, and so we'd both measured for this back gallery space with this smooth wall. And um, when it came to the hanging day, I had real I sort of realised this and went, okay, look, my shows, Ross's show's huge, right? You have to see these prints. They're gorgeous. They're massive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, my show, I had uh, 52, 53, sorry, A3 prints that I had done. Um, and I was like, you know what? I can fit them into anything. So that's cool. So we put the black wallpaper up. Um, the other big wall decals up and we hang them and everything is fine. And I, and, and, you know, it's the longest, most tedious hanging I've ever done in my life of a show, but we did it right. Um, 
uh, with you know the help of Jeff Borg and Ross um, and Mark Goddard as well. We all did it. Yay! Everybody's happy. Um, so opened without a hitch. Um, it was good opening. Great opening. Great opening. Um, a lot of fun. Um, it looked beautiful. I was really stoked with myself. I was like, yeah, we did it. We made Moon. And Moon was about me finding my joy in a garden. Yes. And then I went on holiday, turned my phone off. Um, <laughs> never turn your phone off, guys. Never turn your never phone turn off. Is this something you've learnt in your life? Are you going to do it again, turn your phone off? I am. I love turning my phone off. I hate phones. I ha actually hate... Anyway, but it's fine. Okay. Yep. I'm going to do it again. You've got to put I'm that gonna... on a t-shirt, eh? You never turn your phone off. Never turn your phone off. But I did turn my phone off. And the gallery had been trying to contact me because my work had come off the wall. And at first it was a part of it. And then it was more of it. And then it was more of it. And what happened because it's black adhesive, because it's a, a wallpaper, like, a re you know, removable wallpapers are a thing now. Um, and guys, make sure that you're not sticking this on textured walls right or any or any paints that are designed yeah to to stop graffiti Gr anti-graffiti paints are a problem yeah, yeah yeah so check your paints just to you know um make sure anyway um so on the other wall the three big decals stuck perfectly beautiful gorgeous but the other wall it just completely came down and when it came down it all stuck together in a big ball so if you can imagine 53 oh, a3 prints there's my hopes and dreams on the floor um Two weeks into the show, or a week and a half into the show, right? Yeah, yeah. To a four-week um, show. Yeah, a four-week show. So I go in, um, and I just, I'm, st I didn't, I was a bit of a shock because I didn't see the actual images. Um, I was sent the wrong images, and I thought, oh yeah, cool, that's fine, I can fix that. Um, and the gallery was like, can you just do a couple of reprints? And I was like, yeah, no problem, that's easy. I did not have a contingency plan for 53 of my images. There was no contingency plan for that. Um, so I went in and I just wailed in the gallery, um, and just was like, what do I do? What do I do? I don't know what to do. Um, and I was like, just, do I cancel this? Do I just pull it all down? Do I, you know, and I think the gallery were kind of expecting me to take what was left over and stick it back up on the wall and do another couple of reprints. Um, but I'm not that kind of girl. They were scratched. They had tape on them. And, and there's something that um, has been told to me by, you know, by, by the institutions that I'm a part of, you know, you either go hard or you don't at all. Like you, you know, you do a simple image or you do a crazy image. You don't half-ass anything. Yeah. And so with half-ass sort of bits of tape and stuff on the wall, that felt, it didn't feel like it was doing the work, the service that I thought about. It was either going to be perfect or it wasn't for me. Um, and so in this sort of moment of kind of crazy joy, I was like, why don't I just fuck it up further? I just own this. Like, I just. Yeah. Um, and so I just start ripping it up further and then sticking it back on these wall panels and just putting it back together. And I don't know, this was one of the most. It was almost. Um, I got told I was a bit scary. But, you know, if you've ever seen an artist work um, when they're in this kind of religious yeah. zone, you know, that, that finding the daemon zone, which is like daemons are. A whole thing. Um, but, you know, finding the inspiration moment. Um, and I'm just sticking stuff up on the wall and just putting it, you know, ha really enjoying how the colours interact, really enjoying how the tears look on the work, really suddenly taking this thing that was like my hopes and my dreams and my joys and my broken heart and all of the wasted money and all of the wasted stuff and all of this arts training, which has told me that everything has to be perfect and suddenly realising 
It doesn't. Um, it can just be a fuck up. I can just own this. I've been told my whole life that, um, you know, I go to APA and prints have to be perfect and I tell people off for not being perfect, but it's the flowers all over again, right? Like I'm telling people the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I tore it up. And I stuck it back on the wall, torn up. And I wrote, I scribbled all over it and I wrote on it and I wrote how I was feeling in that moment about how things fall down and fall apart. And I don't know, it was magic, actually. It was like tearing apart this institutionalized bullshit that I'd been taught my whole life about what you're meant to be as an artist. Um, I'm tearing up Strange Lonesome Monsters and its perfection. I'm tearing up, mm. you know... Um, my sculpture teacher who was like, you're only as good as your last exhibition or you're only as good as your best photograph. Fuck it. I am who I am. And I don't know if like, fuck that. Like yeah. take it or leave it. Yeah. And, and suddenly for me, this show became like the most purest expression of what it could be. Like it was no longer the stress and the money and the, the sadness of it being on the floor. Cause it was never about that in the first place. It was yeah. suddenly about finding joy in this kind of, it was 2020, right? Like, <laughs> well, that's right. What's next, eh? Yeah. So, so that was it. There was no locus. Um, I don't know whether we go into the next part of this, but um, I did write some expletives on the work. Um, well, yeah. So, so the, no. I, I, before you go into that side, I was just yeah. curious. How do you think that piece? Because I'm going to call it a piece now. That, that oh, it wall, is. Yeah. How well does it sit with the other wall? With those quite perfect. Yes, they're on repositionable wallpaper and that stuff but how does it sit is that the two sides of things happening there is it yeah. what survived what didn't survive what like how do you feel about okay. the two sides together well, all right here's the beautiful thing about the two sides can i tell you the, another story that happened which was there's there's three massive big cocoons up on the wall they're butterfly cocoons and what happened when i was shooting this show was originally about those three cocoons right. um and it was about that I was actually shooting those for a show. The, so all of the ones on the opposite wall were not about this show, but these butterflies were. And I was going to photograph them coming out of their cocoons and all of that kind of stuff. Except my housemate is a very clean person. Um, <laughs> I and, can laugh. And I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a person you want to live with, right? And um, And... And I'm saying that so I never have to live with anybody again. Um, but <laughs> anyway, um, and she likes order and I like chaos. And she, I've got my garden that I'd been photographing for a year already. Yeah. And she thought my garden was a mess. So she thought she would sort it out. And she threw out the cocoons and ultimately killed them. Oh. And that was... Gosh devastating like for me because i i had um i don't like i'd been photographing these cocoons since the day one of them since the very day that it landed and started to build its little pupae like i had been you know and it was just about to come out and you can see that actually the middle one um you can see its little wings um the back of the wings actually starting to the pupae's go like this see-through color i think it's pupae i can't remember if it's cocoon or pupae i'm having a moment but i like the word pupae so stick with it it's pretty cool pretty cool term yeah um it sounds super smart yeah and uh yeah but she threw them out and they were dead and they were gone so we've got this perfect beautiful wall where the, they were ultimately destroyed right this thing and then the whole show had to pivot and it became about this other stuff i was photographing as well as the butterflies so yeah, they're yeah. standing there looking at this other wall 
which is all of which is essentially another show, but I ended up putting them all together that was perfect, that didn't get yeah. killed, that didn't get fucked up. And then it did. And it's like nothing about this show can go right. Like this is a comedy of errors, right? And so for me, in terms of my narrative, I'm sure in terms of the gallery's narrative and anybody who goes in there and sees it now, they're going to look at it and go, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. But for me, in terms of how I feel about it, and I actually don't give a fuck how anybody feels about it because this is my show and this is about talking about how I feel, which sounds really uppity of me, but that's what art's about. It made so much narrative sense. It made beautiful poetic sense that the perfect one was the one that was originally broken and the one that's broken now has become perfect too in my eyes. (laughs) So, um, That's really cool. That's really cool. I, I, I could see that in the way you were talking about what had happened and I haven't been down to see it since the <laughs> the, yeah. the, the the reawakening. I mean, it's had its own chrysalis moment. Yeah, yeah, it's it has. It's had its own emerging as a butterfly moment. Exactly. In a strange kind of a way. Um, and so that's what I, I had pictured in my head. Now, what's happened since is some of the stuff you'd written on there, the, <laughs> the censors have said uh, you can't have that in a public yeah. space in McLaren Vale. Yes. Yeah, so that it all happened really quickly. Um and yeah, look, this is no what I what I want to I'm going to tell the story, but what I want to say first is I don't want animosity to the space because um everyone's trying to do their best, right? Yeah. And um, I can feel that in some of the comments online yeah. and I've been around this stuff a lot. Yeah. Um and it's disappointing that would be the word I'd use that people would react and go we can't show this to people. Yeah, yeah. That being said, go go forward. Well, this poor human um, who was in the gallery didn't realise that I had not, had not seen the work yet or had no idea what had actually happened to the work. So when I went in, I, I just cried, right? And you know that snotty, awful cry where you can't stop crying? <laughs> yes. And you're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And someone's trying to comfort you. And you're like, hey, do you mind if you just leave me to it for a moment? Hey, and you like, but because you're crying, it's not coming out, and you're kind of going to force it. So I think this poor person was quite like, "What the hell is happening?" Um, and that's the first meeting I'd ever had with this human. So then, um, you know, a few hours later, so when I was doing putting this piece together, it was actually a really positive experience. Um, you know, Melody Oaten was sitting with me. Chris Oaten was taking photos of Ross. Like um, Helen Roberts came in, and that was wow. really she's Helen Roberts. If you don't know who she is, she's a death doula. And there's something fantastic about a death doula walking into your show when it's ultimately dead and you're rebuilding yeah, it. Because yeah. um, that was perfect. That's perfect, you know. Um, and, and Ross is doing his artist talk while this is happening. It was this beautiful, positive environment, right? I was really – I felt so at home and supported and, like, my family were around me and these beautiful people. But this woman hadn't seen that because she had to go out into the gallery. So she's seen me, unfortunately, melt down. And then she's seen – me basically, one of the pieces say on it, like one of the parts of it have said, um, sometimes everything just fucking fails and things like that, which is, you know, and, and so, and what look, whatever you think of that, that's up to you. Um, but she didn't know what to do. So she shut down the gallery space until she knew what to do. And, and, and it was such a, I guess, a comedy of errors. And it was, for me, such a hit to the face because I was like, excuse me, like this is the rebirth. Everybody had, was like, there was a bunch of people heading down that day who yeah. couldn't see it. And I was like, what? And also it's Ross's space as well. So we were just like, ah. So after a few phone calls yesterday with me and Janie 
um, and the, and Anna from the space, we sorted it out and we're going to reopen it and on, which is great. That is amazing news. Um, so on the 11th of October at about 2 PM, which is the closing of this show, um, where what I'm going to do is, um, close it, close the show. We're going to have a closing party and I'm going to, um, now I'm trying to figure out if I auction it or if I sell it, but I'm going to find a way to make money off the broken pieces of this work. Um, and there's a couple of broken pieces that nobody's allowed to have because they're mine um, and raise money for a mental health charity of some description um, because that's important to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's that's what's happening um, and, and that's how we're going to, you know, how this show is happening. And you can still see the original pieces. Um, Janie's taking down a screen with the images on it. Um, so you can see the original ones, but I personally don't feel that they're relevant anymore. Um, so and not in yeah. the body of work that's on the wall. Like, yeah, what, you know, that's a thing. That's, that's something that, that happened. Yeah. And that's a part of that thing. It's, it's really tough though. You know, it's, yeah. Um, and, and there may be a case. So, you know, with the swear words, um, what we're going to do in the past, my work has been covered up um, and <laughs> covered up with it just because I, I photograph nudes. And in the past, my work's been covered up with little notes saying, you know, this is whatever um, uh, in, in certain circles. So um, the people who have actually done that previously to how had to do that because of circumstances to my work, um, they may come down with me and actually censor the work with me. So the censors are joining me in censoring my own work. So it's like trying to bring all of these stories and these tales of censorship and these tales of freaking out and these tales of things not going so well or work not being seen in the way I wanted to kind of all coming together in a, in a nice therapeutic kind of way. And it may not be for other people, I don't know, but I think the story is important. Um, so, which goes against everything I used to say as well, where it's like nobody cares about the long, boring car ride. They only care about the end. Um, but maybe I, as I get older, I really like road trips and I hate hotels. Oh. So, um, yeah. so maybe that's how it's yeah. becoming. And you love the yeah. feeling of what the hotel, I mean, you love the feeling of what the hotel might be like. The promise. Yeah. Of yeah. It. And you love yeah. that. Oh, we're going to get ice cream at the next time we stop. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. I think that's, you know, that's one of those things to stick on a jumper as well. Yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's it. Like, yeah, it's interesting. So, so look, it's become one of, I don't know. I think it's great. Like, especially from a person like me who has been so, I guess, institutionalized in terms of my work, right? Like I've, I have come from that background of, of AIPP perfection and, um, you know, photographic perfection. I'm sure, I think you are too, Paul. Like I think. Um, yeah, you can't help it. I think if you've been in the commercial world. Yeah. And then of course the AOPP sharpens you up even more. Yeah. Um, but even in the commercial world, you're always trying to make sure that you're putting out this certain level that's so high, no one can question you for that because then you can charge the better prices. And, exactly, exactly. And all that sort of stuff. But. Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, as young artists, we're told, like, my, my dream is to get into the art gallery of South Australia, and it's not for any other reason than being told as a kid that I was the failure. And I don't know why that's a, a, a success point for me, and it probably, it may not ever be, and I don't really, I realise I don't really care. And as I was doing this show, I realised I don't really care, because I printed, so when I was told, when I was younger, I was told, your prints have to be archival, right, to get into these these institutions, and they have to be um, able to be stored, and they have to be, you know, but if you go to the print room 
you know, if you, if you ever go to the art gallery, you can request to see prints. And what's really interesting is some of them are really fucked up. And, and well, just look at watercolors. Know? Like, you yeah, collect, people collect watercolors; they fade the minute they're out. It's, exactly. I think I think the thinking about that is, of course, it's about making it easier for the curator because yeah. they're ticking a box. They're going, "Is this work stable?" You know, they're ticking all those crazy boxes. Exactly. But uh, I mean, did you see Trent Park's um, show yes. at the yeah. art gallery? Exactly. Now that was done on photocopy. Pa- yeah. paper yeah. some of it and pinned to the walls and i went to one of the guys that bought a part couple yeah. who bought a big chunk of his work mm. and they asked me how do we preserve it and put it on the wall what do we do and i said to them well this is your choices you know you pin it as it was yeah and hope for the best or we can build this acrylic over cover for it and blah 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 and, you know, I was also extremely precious. In fact, I think it's probably the time I've had with Gavin from the yeah. CCP yeah. that's helped me understand that the, that precious is, is it's almost like a bit of a waste of energy. Yeah. I think it's probably the nicest way to say that because the guy that bought it, in the end, and he spent a lot of money on it. I don't know, yeah. but I'm guessing it's probably ten, twenty thousand $20,000 on what he bought, maybe more. Um he, he said, no, I just left it as it is. I've pinned it like it was in the gallery because that's what it was. Yeah. And, and you know, what the bravery first as a purchaser to be able to do that is just fantastic. I love but that the, guy all of a sudden. I'm like, I know, yes, man. The bravery like, of the artist to do yeah, that and to feel yeah. that that's a great thing. Yeah. And I felt, because a lot of the stuff that we produced for Shimmer with, with the artist was done in a way that it was not a particularly precious way. Sure, there yeah. was a certain level of perfection in in the what they wanted, but it wasn't finished with museum glass and a no. huge white box frame and all that kind of other stuff yeah. because it financially didn't work these days. It's, no. it's tough. It's tough. But, you know, a ton of stuff sold this year. Yeah. It's probably yeah. one of the best-selling years yeah. I've seen for a festival. Yeah. Whether and it's got to do with pandemic or not, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and, well, the other thing is, it was, it's really interesting. So I found this box of stuff in my shed when I was moving house. And um, it was a box that had childhood stuff in it. And I didn't even – I hadn't even opened it, like, in uh, probably since I had left home, right? And it had um, – it had – photographs of myself as a kid which I haven't seen and it had um a note from my I had a set of rosary beads so my my grandmother was um very catholic and had a set of rosary beads in it and a beautiful letter from her handwritten and it had all like because you know how paper over the years and it wears and if you've touched the paper your acid from your fingers gets into it and her fingerprints were on it oh and she's not here anymore. And I didn't really have much of a connection, but damn, did I have a connection with her then, mm. right? And I was I think it came, you know, it really came back to me when I was ripping up this work and Jackson Pollocking the shit out of it. Like, I, it was like, my fingers are going to, you know, because I handle prints with the cotton gloves. When we we're setting it up, we're there with the cotton gloves, we're there with the preciousness, all of that. And yet, and I do that with student work as well. Like when I'm hanging my student shows here, it's like so much preciousness, but there's something I'm thinking, this is my signature. I never sign work at the moment anymore. Like, and I'm putting my hands on it and you know, it's blacks. It's that beautiful, you know, that Canton rag, how you get the, and you touch it and it's like velvet and I can see my fingerprints dragging along it. And I'm just like, yes, you know, because that's, I want, I want, and you know, my, um, a family member of mine carries around 
a photograph of her husband in her wallet that has been there since they met and it's jagged and it's folded and it's fucked but it's beautiful and it's like her most prized thing in her wallet and I just go that's what I want my work to be I want it to be I want it to be tactile I want it to you know I don't I don't want people to I would much rather have taken the photograph that someone puts in their wallet and is jagged and has fingerprints on it than the person whose work is shoved away in a, you know, in a box frame somewhere that's not, you know, I, they're I want objects, that. They're both objects, though. They're yeah. both objects. Um, I, I. Well, your case totally taught me this. It. I totally yeah. get it. I know. I've got like I, I dig in my wallet and I pull out pictures of the kids, and those pictures have one job, and that's to be in my wallet and to yeah. be discovered every time I go digging. In yeah. There. Could you tell me though, with the idea that Shimmer was talking about going virtual online? Yeah. How how do you make work for that world? Not so much the online world, but how do you make work that is designed to be a virtual work, or a piece that is has to be seen by a web browser or by a screen? Yeah. How do you make work? And what does that mean to you? Um, I'm finding that harder and harder, to be honest, Paul. Like I, why? Why is it getting harder? Was it easier for you? Yeah. I think because um, for me, there's a, there's a, okay. So going, you know, for me, there's such a, and a religious experience in a print. Um, like I'm a, I'm a big feeling person, right? So I see a print that I love and it, it hits me right in the guts. On screen, I see so much of it. it it's such an oversaturation. And, and I was really afraid of having a show such as Moon, which I was, it's funny, I was, while I was making Moon, trying to be tactile, trying to make it about, you know, so I did these lenses, um, these beautiful, like, under glass lenses because I wanted people to get the experience that I had looking down the microscope. Um, And so, but that wouldn't have been there. So I I was actually really fearful of preparing an online show for Shimmer. I didn't want to. Um, But was there a time before you could do that? Was there a time in your career where you thought, yeah, "Yeah, let's make a digital version? Yeah, I think so. I think over in my career, yes, right? Like there's – so my top-selling works have never been the ones that look good on screen, right? They're always, always, always um, like the – yeah, so – I really struggle now with, I don't know, I just don't know how to make stuff for online anymore. You look at my social media and stuff like that and I, I'm not really, I don't know. I think the only work that I've had that's really been a successfully exhibited work online was one that I was working on during COVID, which was um, the final days before the apocalypse and I was walking around really late at night and all these oh, sickly, yeah. horrible light colours and stuff like that. They work online beautifully because they've got the saturation and stuff like that. So I think stuff that's sitting within our current, aesthetic which is like um I don't know at the moment it seems to be fluorescent colors and and you know that kind of lights at night and all of that I think whatever sitting in our current aesthetic seems to work online but I I don't know I um and if you yeah I don't know and it was happy it was an event that was happening at the time so everybody could see it and experience it whereas something as strange as the garden you know, people see that work online and go, okay, cool. I mean, I guess you first experienced online when you saw it, Paul. But yeah. um, I don't know that it has that same tactility that I wanted it to have. Um, than that it, yeah. So 
that's yeah. a very long-winded question answer to a question. Do you think do you think you're making a like if you're making a piece specifically for online? Yeah. You, you feel it's real? Like like I'm just I'm personally and I I'm just the wrong person to ask for this because my yeah. whole world is invested in making prints. Yeah. Um you know it's my my livelihood but so I'm the wrong person to ask for that but I just personally feel that it just doesn't feel real until I can I can hold and I don't know whether it's a thing that cuz we're sick of screens cuz what we do is look at things on screens. Yeah. Yeah. Um maybe that's what it is because I don't think that's the case. I don't no. think the only way something exists is because it's been printed. That's ridiculous. Same. Like it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's just it's just stupid. I don't think that in the least, but it doesn't feel right to me. I can't I haven't resolved that problem in my head. That's it. Well, I loved um something, you know, uh Kate spoke um at the Shoot the South event, which is a bunch of um, 14 to 24-year-olds yeah. who are, are shooting over the time of Shimmer under the direction of Milton Wordley. Um, and it's an amazing project that he's doing. And um, Kate came along to talk about Instagram and she starts yelling. It's, I loved it. I loved it so much. <laughs> she starts yelling. She, yelling start, she yells all the time. It's fantastic. I love her. Her energy <laughs> is like you walk into a room you can't feel like flat when Kate's around. Um, anyway... But, um, like, when I grow up, I want to be Kate. That's how this rolls. Um, so, but you're there and you say, like, she's yelling at these kids, like, um, oh, TikTok, you guys need to work out how to make TikTok work. And I'm like, yes. I don't know how to do that <laughs> because I think for me, um, more increasingly as I get older, I seem to be turning into that person who's freaking out about tech um, and falling behind and not quite knowing how to stay you know in the game um I got an iPad and I'm still freaking out about how to use that which is hilarious coming from me who is such a tech-minded human mm, mm. um but I'm starting to starting to get overwhelming and um TikTok is scary and and but you know to have I think it's the next generation who's doing that actually I think they're the ones it's not who for are gonna, us it's yeah not I don't know whether us. it's for me yeah I don't know because yeah. I love the I love the printed image I I love it so profoundly that I have so many pieces of artwork in my house that's other people's beauty and um for me that gives me great comfort but then there are people who have the empty houses without stuff on their walls and I used to think that um those people were weird, but my best mate's one of them. And she doesn't have anything on her walls because it's too much for her to handle. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I think she's the one who gets that stuff. You know, yeah, she's yeah. that's the work for her. And I still haven't worked out how to make the work for her. Um, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. how to make the work for me and I know how to make the work for the Paul Atkins who wants that tactile thing. But, yeah, I don't know. Well, don't no know. one's taking it away. Like, we're not facing yeah. a choice. Um, no, no. And, and the beautiful thing is because so much more is being made, the stuff that is actually making it to print um, and making it to the walls and that, it seems to be more important than ever and yeah. um, and more precious. And I think that's a beautiful thing. The yeah. days when we had to print it to see it, I mean, yeah, they were, they were great in many, you know, financially. They worked well for us as a business and that, but it's just, just, just crap. We're just pump, pumping junk out. Yeah. Um, where now people are putting stuff out and, and they're, they're concerned about, they're worried about what they're doing with it. Is it right? Is it important to me? Yeah. Am I doing it? And and this is where I think this journey that you've been on recently with with this show is so interesting to look at and to think about. You know, I, I don't know if you realise this, but my my mother-in-law mm. was there. Oh, um, I thought I recognised 
recognized her. Yeah. <laughs> I was and, trying and to and work out his Yeah. And she and she and she said, and you know, she's <laughs> she's very German. Yeah. And I, I love her dearly, but she's like, I don't get it. What's going on? You know? <laughs> and, and um and then she, she came very back. concerned. <laughs> I know, she was very concerned. And then she then I sent her your blog post. Yeah. And she you ought to see that she was so excited when she read it. And she's a very she's a very open, ready to learn person, which is just the one most that. wonderful thing to see someone of of a, the next generation. Yeah. Um, or the generation above me who is so willing to learn and open minded and she got it and she's oh, glad she saw it. And she makes, I know. I was cool. worried about her because I knew her face right. And I think she came in at the time when I had just had to accept it. And, oh, that, wow. what a beautiful story. I, I just know. had to accept it. So she was really concerned. She was like, a, you know, kind of like very tentatively walking in. And um, so for her to get it, I don't know, that's really important to me. That's so, oh, that's such a cool story. Well, that's so nice. I know. And there's so much to her story that she, like, she moved from Germany and she's an immigrant. She And she's just moved from Melbourne to Adelaide to be with her grandchildren, like yeah. my kids and my and my sisters, uh, my sister-in-law's yeah. kids, and she's just she's so open to learning and growing and discovering. And her yeah. husband, she's dragging him along. Oh, like he's yeah. fabulous. He was there too. I don't know if he quite would have got it, but no, she'd yeah. make sure he got it. Yeah. She would have she would have made sure he got it. So you've touched some people all over the place with with this idea, G. And I think I want to talk to you about this because it's a pretty unique journey. Um, <laughs> And it's not over. Like, we're no. so far from over w- with what we're going on. I think you get a fabulous home where you are in the Centre for Creative Photography as a teacher. Yes. And being able to make, make kids feel that it's okay to have this happen yeah. to them. Yeah. I think that's part of it too. It was really important for me when I saw the work on the floor and when I saw what was going on, I want my my students to see me fail because I for a while there when I was doing Strange Lines and Monsters, um, that was a really – awkward experience for me because I would walk down the street it got so weirdly famous that I'd walk down the street and somebody would this you know somebody would see me and I and go oh my god you're G Greenslade and so this was happening not all the time but enough and um it was really quite a lot for me as somebody who when I go down the street I put my headphones on and now I go in back alleyways because I don't want to see anybody but um so yeah, to, to, I was put up on such a pedestal that I was afraid to fall down. And I had never seen anybody fall and fall in such a profound way. And and I want people to see me. I don't want pe- I want people to see the truth of this, that art isn't glorious or it's not always perfect and it's not always, you know, you see everybody sees the big show and sees the fabulous pieces and all of that and, and thinks that you – just shit that out and and you're talented. And that's not the truth. It's bloody, it's gross. It's, you know, that's why I tell the story of being in South Africa and getting broken. And that's why I tell the story of, um, you know, because I, I want people to understand that you're allowed to fail and you're allowed to – and I, a friend of mine um, who uh, – um, Tom, I've forgotten his last name, but he was a part of the Jane Austen argument. Um, And he's like, I think I might fail spectacularly, but I'm a fan of spectacle. And I just, (laughs) that right there, that right there is just like, that's the quote, you know? Um, Yeah. yeah. yeah, So if I'm going to fail, I'm going to make a spectacle of it. And and I'm going to, 
own it and be okay with it and and be comfortable because um, I think we should as a society be comfortable with our fuck ups and how we need to talk about you know I posted a po- an image on social media of my eyes really puffy the next day because they got glued together from crying <laughs> Um, and I woke up in the morning, I couldn't open them and I thought it was hilarious. And I was like, how do I post this? How do I talk about this in a way that's not, because I think failure is funny as well. Um, you know, yeah, so yeah. how funny is that, that this has happened? How, and especially at a time when like, how fucking privileged am I as well? I'm bellyaching about images coming oh, off a wall, right? Like what a privileged white girl am I? I'm bellyaching about going to a hospital that I don't understand. Like, fuck like the world is raging outside and i'm belly aching about a fucking art show shut up put it back on the wall deal with the rage like you know know. get up i know (laughs) yeah so it's crazy isn't it yeah anyway sorry i went on a rant there but you know no 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 that's exactly why i asked you to be on this i (laughs) want to talk to you i wanted to hear this stuff i think (laughs) i i i I, you know one of the things i'm talking to a lot of artists about and and when people come and say i want to do this i want to I want to follow this path. I want to. I want to end up in the art gallery of South Australia. Yeah. And I think the path these days is is always. It's always been about storytelling, but I think it involves so much more about being yourself and talking about how you've done this and where you've moved to it. And you know, Hayden Richards and you know, Sa mm. Rips and his show. Oh my he, god. Yeah. I mean, he's so isolated. And he's not had the ability to reflect with particularly like-minded people about yeah. his work, and he's not felt that that's a part of it. But that's the that's that is everything about his story. Yeah, and he, he needs to work out how to tell it. And Can I just say though, them. his artist talk was the most genuine when at the open forum. It was yeah. so genuine and honest. Like it was just like this. What I really appreciated about him was like he just hadn't been marred by our bullshit yet, and that yes. He just came in with no pretense and just gave this talk and he was like, yeah, this is it, you know. And and I could have all – I just wish he had a beer in his hand while he was doing it because it's so appropriate, <laughs> you know. He was lovely. He's such a – yeah, just an honest dude and his work is yeah, – go next, see it. It's next world. level. Yeah. It is. And 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 so my thinking with, with Hayden is I think he does need us. I yeah. think he needs this family that you're a part of. This is the art world, whether you be in Melbourne, Sydney – uh, New York, Toronto, wherever you are, it, he doesn't mm. need to be a part of this because I think he would just get better and better with this reflection yeah. and understand himself more. And I think he's very canny. I think he does know his story. He does, and, yeah. And he, and he knows the importance of it in the, in the world. And, yeah, so this is a good thing. And what you've done is is, is it's important that you, you show your students that and you show us all that it's really cool to fail and this is how the process works. Yeah. So, hey, dude, this has been an hour. We did it. So we've done it. We've had it. We've had a chat for an hour, and and it's almost. I don't know if it's much of a carry on because, as you said, DJ and I interviewed you many years ago when I was um, a wee baby. Yes. Maybe when you're a wee baby, yeah. And um, this is a follow on, so we're going to keep this follow on thing going, and we should and see what's next. We've skipped over some things. We have. We skipped over your glitch work. We skipped over. Good. Some of the thank stuff. God. <laughs> Oh, don't say that. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I just talk about it so much that it's I like, know. yeah, you're over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you should be, you should be over it and looking forward to the next thing. Yeah. Um, hey, look, thanks for doing it for all of us and being out there and putting yourself out. Thank you so much. Well, there you go. Mrs. Shrek just said she's the kind one. <laughs> Mrs. Shrek, again, husbands, potential <laughs> husbands, look. 
You're kind I of cook, a hot I cook shrek. really well. You know, if you've got a business that's a little bit in the shambles, I'll come fix that shit up for you. Send your applications in too. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's new, Kate? What has happened? What is this? What is this well, last week? Well, two weeks because we've been slack. <sighs> well, who's been slack? Do you not look at me. I'm looking at you. Why do I have to be the one who's blamed? Because you didn't. I'm blamed for all the stuff, aren't I? I don't know. So I may or may not have been driving for two months without a license. <laughs> <laughs> That was very funny. Because I didn't know that I had to do it and then they sent me a, hey, so like we fully think you've already got your license, but if you haven't, just so you know, you <laughs> I don't think that was driving. a tone of the letter. That though. was the tone. It was very relaxed. SAGov, they got their shit together. They're yeah. like, you know, whatever. Maybe come in and, I don't know, get a license, but totes don't drive until then. <laughs> totes don't go through a red light camera. And I have to say, can I get on my pinko... Pinko communist. You can. Can I? Quickly. Can I? Yes. Can I? Let's not bore these can listeners. I? Fuck you. Okay, so <laughs> I went into SA Gov and I. The service Centre. Service Centre and I the motor had registration the department. fantastic time. I went in there. There was a, a, a man telling me, okay, what do you want? Yep, you want to renew license. Okay, fill this form out. Yep, great. Took two seconds to fill the form out. Sat socially distanced from all the other freaks. Waited 15 minutes, got served by a gorgeous girl with grey curly hair like mine and we had a whole curly hair discussion. She got me to sign a few things. She told me about the app. Do you know there's an app? You don't even have to carry a driver's license. You put a fucking app on your phone, chuck your wallet out the door. It's brilliant. The whole wallet? Yeah. What about the photos of the kids in there? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, and what I would like to say is that that... Is bureaucracy. Yes. And that Because we, we live in a communist state, don't we? No, we don't. Not no, a no, I'm saying state, so if idiot. you listen to half the Republican Party. Oh, if you're an American listening, you think we live in communi- communist Russia here in Australia. Yeah, I know. Fucking wankers. So what I'm saying is that is bureaucracy. Yes. A bureaucratic system. That which works. Works. And it doesn't always work purely and perfectly. And guess what? Neither does business. Like, hello. No, totally. Australia Post loses shit. Amazon loses shit. Like all of the other, all of the business systems don't work perfectly either. Place is government. Partly, isn't it? It's bureaucracy. Whatever. Shut up. <laughs> Missing my point. My point is that it's kind of a privilege that we have in this country that we have a bureaucracy that mostly, mostly works pretty well. And yes, sometimes it fucks up. Yes, I know. And yes, people are taking advantage of it. And yes, it's not great. Don't at me. What I'm saying is that when you go to look at some of the crap that Americans have to deal with, for example, it is a different world and we should be really happy for what we have here. Yeah, and I've had a couple of interactions with the tax office this last few months or this year and they've been amazing. Well, Um, given the enormous tax cuts that are happening, they're not going to have any staff in a minute, neither will any of the fucking bureaucracy if none of us ever pay any tax. And by the way, where's the childcare? Okay, so you're ready for your moment of colour? Don't vote for this fucking government. You ready for your moment of colour? Yeah, go on. Oh, yeah? I'm off my pinko. I thought we'd mention toner printing because, you know, we've talked about inkjet. Is this, the, about is this the printing we halide. use when we want to print the posters for the revolution so we can eat the rich? No. <laughs> you should see his face. I want cake. Not <laughs> that's what they taste like because that's all they eat all day. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's the sort of stuff you do. It's like a giant photocopier. It's like you're always talking about. That's not a good thing to say. That's my criticism. 
Yeah, it is your criticism. Because, I mean, the trouble is, is half, well, most of this stuff is for colour. Um, Which so is? they use cyan ma, magenta. Cyan ma? <laughs> cyan, magenta, yellow, and K for black. Mm. Whatever K. I'm yeah. sure I should look well, that. Because I can't do blue twice. Stop eating and talking. Oh, shut up. <laughs> and so doing off mic. So so the um so the the toner the idea is it is you get the a positive and a negative charge and the toner's like this little dust, this fine, fine dust. And the drummer's charged one way and the toner's charged the other way, and the image is put on the drum, sort of etched with a laser. That's where the laser printer comes from. And so that the negative charge area or the positive, I can't remember which way is negative and which way is positive. I should have Googled this before I did the talk. Oh, you it doesn't idiot. matter, it's opposite of the other. <laughs> and so the tone is charged on. And so where the image is, the, 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 the image that is the cyan part of the image, because it puts them all on in four, got, you know, the four tones come on, it jumps across the gap onto the paper. And then it goes around again and then across the magenta jumps across and the yellow jumps across and the black jumps across. So the whole thing is this toner sitting on it. Then it goes through a heating unit called a fuser and it then melts the particles to, to lock them onto there. And um, and is this the same as certain companies in the world may use the terminology uh, six-colour... Digital press. Digital press is the word to go. Six colour is good because that's adding extra colours Sure, more colours means it's going to be better. Oh, well, it means more subtlety. Like between turn it up colours. to 11. Well, hang on. Just explain to you what that means. So Kate's wearing a really bright blue top, right? As Let's imagine that's way. a super bright cyan and it's bright, 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 bright. So that toner in that photocopier is that intense, rich blue. That's what it is. Now, if you want to make a sky blue, which is never quite that now, hang intense. Hang on. I just want to let you know that you're walking down a path where you're going to tell all these people that they need to go and find out whether their toner copier people that they're printing with are using enough colours. No. And that means all these wankers no. are going to go out no. and call their local quick no. copy and go, I would like an 11 colour digital press. They don't work that okay. way. Yeah. So, 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 to, so if you want to lay that super cyan rich colour onto it and create sky blue. The only way you can do it is spread dots out to show the white of the paper through to simulate the light blue. Does that make sense? So the toner's full colour, put some white between the dots and you your eyes think it's, you know, magic, it's a light version of the colour, right? So full colour has its issues, um, but it's a nice, cheap, quick way of making a print. And so if you're going to do cards and calendars and... All those kinds of things, but it's also like many machines requires management. You can't, you don't just plug it in, walk away. No, no. There's a whole lot of calibrating and setting yeah. up, and and there's a whole so lot. There of, is a bit of magic. There's a lot of, of magic. Bit of um, magic sauce, secret and they're sauce. Actually, fast. They're so fast, and they can double side, and they print on sheets, and they can, you know, there's some very cool things about it. So toner mostly is a plastic, and so as it gets heated up, it just sort of melts onto the page. Um, and sort of fuses on there, which is you can do some really cool tricks with with toner. So I don't know if you've ever done printed an image in negative and then ironed it onto something because you can use a toner print and transfer the toner to something else, but with it, you know, it's a hot iron. Oh, like a t-shirt. Yeah, it's yeah. not really how they'd make t-shirt stuff, but it's just one of the tricks you can do. It doesn't all transfer I think beautifully. We should get a t-shirt printer. Oh gosh, how much fun would that be? Oh my god. Yeah. Hey, write in if you want us to get a t-shirt printer. But Charles, I've just been doing smart, like, smart yes. comments, you know. All day long. Like dad jokes on there. It'd be so good. That's like Joe. I don't know if she's still making money off Redbubble. Speaking of Joe, she turned 16. 
She did. She did. Let me finish the moment of oh, colour. Talk Sorry. about Joy. Anyway, so um, uh, toner printing. Uh, one of the early. I don't know exactly where it was invented, but of course Xerox made it big. As far as I know, here in South Australia, some of the early developments were made at the, De- the Department of Science Technology, DSTO, um, and it was done uh, through. A, in fact, the guy that was part of the unit that worked on it was actually really high up in the AIPP, and was actually uh, ran the South Australian AIPP for a long Australian mm. Institute of Professional Photography, and he. Um, but before he'd sort of semi-retired and moved to helping run the AIPP, he worked in this, this division where they were imaging. And they were doing things like using coffee grounds and charging them and shooting them onto the paper and then fusing it on. I don't know quite how they fuse it because it wasn't a plastic. Maybe they used another liquid. That's right. The early machines used to use a liquid that was a fusing oil. And, um, and so that the... Print would smell like coffee because <sighs> it had coffee. Actually, I want coffee. that to come back into yeah. style. And when you see toner, and when it's super fine, it behaves like a liquid. You put it in the container, mm. you tip it around. So it's a kind of a cool technology, but it is kind of harsh, coarse. Um, there are six color digital presses, um, but the trouble with them is, and you might come across this, and quite a few labs have found this, where they're really quite good. But they're not good enough to pass off as as nice prints. But a lot of people try and pass them off as nice prints. And they work for maybe 70% of prints. But the other 30%, they really, really fail. And often that is with skin tone and the likes. It can be hard getting it looking right. Um, But it's also a bit like, you know, you print something really massive at a low DPI, you're not going right up close to That's it right. to look at it. So That's does right. it really it's matter? A that it's, pixelate. it's a grading exactly. card. It's a grading card. It's a calendar. It's the, yeah. the appropriate yeah. usage yeah. of it. And that you're not comparing, you're not printing out a master fine art print off of one image and then printing your bloody Christmas card on the toner printer and going, oh my God, there's like such a difference. Yeah. And this is my thing about people trying to pass it off is mm. it, it isn't good enough yet. No. And I mean, probably the best uh, toner based printer is an Indigo Press. Mm. And they are exceptional. They're almost good enough to, to do photographic printing. But, you know, they always fall down at some point. And they've been improved recently. And they're so stonkingly bad on wastage. I know. And, you, you know, like, I don't know. When you're running low volume stuff through it, because no one in Australia, I mean, for we could do our week's production in, in an hour probably. If yeah. you think about print, maybe not an hour. But, um, but that's why right. labs Press. that have those have to then – really appeal to a massive populace of people, yeah. the general public, yeah. for like calendars and yeah. cookbooks yeah. and all that. And look, they're crap. stunning. The results are great off of them. But I, they're just they're not as good as Silver Halide. They're not as good as And they're worth how much? Like, oh, like just under a million dollars. Like fuck and, off. And you gotta retire it in five years and you know it's No thanks. Just this is the conversation that I often have with photographers that are like we really want you to do all the stuff that like Artifact Uprising does, but like, you know, better because you're Atkins. And I'm like, okay, have you got a spare fucking three quarters of a million dollars so I can buy one of these bloody machines? And then are you, you know, I press go and 10 seconds later, the entire week's worth of stuff's done yeah. and it just sits in the corner stewing yeah. until And so then? to pay for those things, they've got to be running long shifts. And, long and that's days. why Artifact Uprising is all based in China. It's all printed out of, out of Asia and... You know, it's fed by the entire universe and is run by this massive conglomerate. Mm. 
Just so you know, if you think it's two hipsters in their house carefully doing your shitty calendars, guess what? Totes not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing with that stuff. And it's and it's like a fabulous result and they got a great branding and great product and all that stuff. But it's just a technology that's a bit beyond it. So I just thought I'd explain that toner-based printing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's good it for is, stuff that cool. doesn't need to last too long, but you still want to look good. Yeah, it's got it's got a good it's got good uses for it, um, and um, you know I think I think I don't think it's a future for for printing, but I think it's a, a, a not a bad stopgap to things. Anyway, yeah. that's your moment. It's so like it's the McDonald's, a little bit. Yeah, maybe KFC. You know, <laughs> get a bit of protein in there. McDonald's is just all sugar. Lovely. <laughs> so you were oh. talking about Josephine's sixteenth. Oh no, it's all good. She turned 16. She, she got did. a septum piercing. Oh, I know. I know. It's hard. I know. But it's good. It's their bodies. Up. They do what they want with their bodies and it's their right and it should be their legal right to do what they want for the rest of their lives. I'm, I'm up on my high horse. Did you see I that? I know. I love it. I just leapt up there without even – like it takes me 30 seconds. I'm on there bloody trot, trotting around. It's normally you who's on your high horse, but people can't hear your high horse. Your high horse is silent. <laughs> anyway, happy birthday, Joseph. <laughs> what are we having for dinner tonight? Japanese curry. Katsu curry. I strongly recommend you all look at that up. It's K-A-T-S-U. And it smells like Keen's curry it powder. It is <laughs> heaven on a stick. It is like it is like apparently, according to my white lady reading of the internet, it is like like the sort of Mac children's the most loved children's spaghetti dish. bolognese. Yeah, so you like cook like chicken schnitzels, basically, but you know, Nice chicken schnitzels, and then you make the curry, which is basically just like a gravy, really, and then you put rice with it. So it's like carbs with fat, and then some carbs, and then we Are put we having carbs the schnitzels? on it. Yeah, we have the fucking schnitzels. I'm excited. Yeah, we're having the whole. It's the I'm like full extravaganza. I'm also going to steam some broccoli just to break up the carbs yeah, a bit. Steam broccoli. Anyhow, let's let these people go. Good Love night. you. Bye.